Scotty, they're onto us. Run! John, John! Let me go! I there's, didn't do it! There's no one here! I've never seen that man before in my life! <laughs> Arrest this man! Oh dear, that's typical, is it? We turn the recorder on and uh, the police come. <laughs> and rubbish flows. <laughs> Scotty, do you realize what a rare occasion this is? Do you know, do, do you think the designated listener can guess why this is a special occasion or what the significance or what's going on here? Uh, I suspect the designated listener from the opening has thought, oh my God, why me this week? <laughs> As opposed to other days, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, John, it's, we are in the same, well, just in the same room, but we're actually sat outside. Uh-huh. Really nice little view and... Uh, here in London, but it's uh, uh, the first time in the same places we record for. What's it? Must have been three years, Could two and a half that. years. I've noticed that you've you've developed quite a beard, there, son. I have. Well, that's what happens when you you have to sort of like get stuck in the East Bollockshire during <laughs> during a pandemic, and you're oh, out, you're out hunting squirrels for your to feed the family and uh, <laughs> you know, keep keep stuff on the table and you know, fight people fight people off in the back streets for toilet rolls. I like forgot this. about all that. Oh my God, there has been a pandemic. And we're barely out of it yet. But it is lovely to see you. I almost kind of, I don't even know where to begin. Because normally the, the, the distance and the separation allows us to kind of, you know, ignore each other while they're talking. And <laughs> now I have to, I can't hide the fact that, I, that I'm not always paying rapt attention when you're telling me about some things. Yeah, see, normally when we record, I've got, got my computer and I'm reading something. And that's why I say, oh, yeah, John, that's interesting. Yeah. But now I can't, so I've got to pretend I'm here. Yeah, and besides <laughs> which, there's no Barky the Failure talk. Oh, no, no. <laughs> but there's Buzzy the Bee the that's Buzzy coming the bee here, yeah. Yeah, there we are. So, John, you're here in London, and today, today you visited, you you visited your colleagues. How would that go? I did. That was lovely. So, yes, we do have an office here uh, on Burner Street, and I, I, of course, made a stupid video, which I probably could put it in the show notes. But it's it's been my kind of silly goal to visit all of our offices or as many as I can get to, um, and uh, enlist the people there to uh, make silly videos. So, when I was in the Paris office. Uh, they had some uh, some really great furniture, including the, the the chair that was very particular from the the show Lupin. And uh, you know, the first time when I show up at, at, at there, I'm always amazed that my fob works. Mostly because I you know <laughs> that I in the ensuing time since I left California and arrived somewhere they haven't fired me, but that the fobs work. And but I always say, I mean, I was amazed they let you into your office in California. Let around in the places around well, the world. Exactly. Well, maybe there's like okay, well let them in somewhere. Just don't want them here in Los Gatos. No, but then, you know, I always meet the, the security guards, and, and they're very lovely and, and give tours and so on and so forth. And it's, it's, I guess it's somewhat unusual that a rank-and-file dirtbag software engineer comes to visit, you know, a, a remote office since, you know, all the product development is done in Los Gatos, but we, we have offices around the world. But it's more for film production or government relations and so on and so forth. But London is a big office, um, and it was great. It was, you know, and each of the different offices have different themes, kind of heavier for the content that's there. So, which is why in Paris, you know, Lupin having been shot, you know, in, in Paris, uh, there was this popular program called The Crown. I hear it's still popular and there's going to be season, I can't remember, was it season four, uh, which will be coming sometime this fall. And so they had original props and so on and so forth. And, and that was lovely. So I saw it. It, it, it was lots of fun. So you got to wear you got wear a crown, did you? Uh, I was I wasn't able to do that, but I got to to, <laughs> to to make a fake phone call to Boris Johnson, telling him that that Brexit was a bad idea. Oh, but he's not there to answer anymore. I know it's <laughs> <That's> too late. <laughs> I'm always a day late and a pound short or whatever. <laughs> 
but uh, it was nice. But uh, but I actually also got some work done because that's important too. It's just that you know I'm, I'm on my way to begin some vacation, but it's you know I find that uh, you know the advantage of being nine hours away from my colleagues is that uh, I can do certain things where I, I'm absolutely guaranteed that there will be no interruptions. But by the time I'm done. You know, or it's kind of the end of the day. I'm 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 a little bit tired, especially being jet lagged. That I don't really necessarily want to wait until the last meetings at three o'clock or four o'clock in in you know Pacific time are over. Um, so, it, welcome yeah. to my world. Yeah, I know exactly. But it, but it, I think it works, and I think um, I speak to someone else about this uh, uh, the other day because they they just started. They they've gone away for three months to Bali for, mm-hmm. and had UK clients, so they were in like. Um, you know, Bali's eight hours in front of the UK, so it was a similar situation um, around there. And how they, you know, he was fine, but they they struggled. But actually, when you, one of the biggest, uh, you know, people reasons people say about being on the same time zone is, is communication. But you don't need to communicate eight hours a day. You just need an opportunity to communicate right. for long enough to get stuff done every day. Mm-hmm. And so I find for me because um, you know. Uh, a lot of the teams I work with, they, they come online at sort of 8 a.m., 9 a.m., something like that. And that's 4 or 5 o'clock in the evening for mm-hmm. me. So I tend to work through to you know, somewhere between 6 and 7, maybe 8 if it's a, a meeting on or something. But, you know, that gives us three hours, maybe even four hours of crossover time, which is plenty. And mm-hmm. It means every day I guarantee to get four to six hours of undisturbed time, and then I get all the meetings in. And actually, that's more productive. Equally, I think from a delivery point of view... Uh, especially as the QA teams on a lot of the projects I work are um, in, in um, uh, the different time zones, American or South American time zones. Yeah. I do work, I submit it to QA, they do their work during that day. I get the results back by the morning and we go again. So mm-hmm. it's no, it's, it can be really efficient. So it's just um, people have got to get over... It's breaking the norms, isn't it? Yeah. And when once you do that and get to seeing the benefits, are there downsides? Of course there are, but it's finding the benefits and not just seeing the downsides. Exactly. That that flywheel of bugs and bug fixes. It's it's yeah. fortuitous. I create the bugs one day. I let someone find them. I fix them and create new ones the next. <laughs> it's a hundred percent. Actually, on my on my business card, I should say professional bug creator. <laughs> and then on the other side, yeah. professional exterminator. Yeah, something like Two that. Sides of the same. I mean, it is a fairly silly industry, isn't it? Where you create problems and get paid to fix them. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, you might have to edit that part out. <laughs> So talking about bugs, what have you done recently, work-wise? Uh, well, so, it's funny, ah, funny you should say that. So, you know, uh, the, I finally can say that uh, this test I've been working on for many months is now going out for QA allocation um, and uh, starting this Monday, so that's good. And, um, is that why you're going on vacation? So, cause, so that yeah, QA can't tell you what's wrong with it? No, no, no. And QA allocation basically means that, that we've gone through it, but you still don't know, you know, the, you need to be able to, to deploy it to a, a meaningful number of people. And you do that just to basically say, hey, are there any other things that we couldn't find in, you know, until so we run that for one or two weeks, and then we can begin the, the actual test allocation for, for us to be able to say, is the thing that we've worked on, does it, you know, does it improve things, does it improve metrics, or sometimes if songs, the metrics stay the same, but it, it, it you know, allows something else, it's neutral, we can ship that. We just basically need to, to make sure that what we do ship doesn't, you know, cause the app to crash 
or or cause a, some other terrible negative thing to happen. So you have to work really, really hard to get something going. And it's just another reminder of, you know, when you're operating at, at, at a larger scale, the types of things that you sometimes find yourself aching to do. It's like, hey, I want to do this. I want to ship it. We ship a new version to the App Store every week. Let's go crazy. And, you know, as tempting as that may be, you can't, can't really do that. <laughs> That's one thing. But in terms of specific things, um, you know, I, I talked a lot about how uh, this project was a brand new canvas, and it was also taking place while there's a big, you know, uh, under uh, transition of the underpinning, um, and there are a lot of different underpinning transitions, not only on, on on the client apps like iOS and Android, but you know, it's pretty common in the world of software to, to switch technologies or to try new frameworks every couple of years, and and sometimes a lot of things overlap at at the same time, so that can be very very tricky because the problem that you're seeing on your client implementation or something could be your boneheaded client problem or it could be an outage on the server or something in between so that can be really tricky but for the most iOS specific aspect of it um, you know we went from a world where you know we were working with objective C objects to you know working with swift structs um, and that that in itself makes for some big changes. But then the other big difference is going from the world of, you know, collection views with data sources and delegates where you are responsible for doing everything, but you have a lot of control over it to a world of compositional layout and diffable data sources. So in the old world, you know, you kind of got used to, to where the problems would be and, and there are tried and true fixes for almost any problem that you can encounter because that technique for doing has been, the technique's been used for, for years. Switching to, to, to diffable data sources and compositional layout, um, it's not, it's not it, you can't really say it's super bleeding edge. I would guess you have to say Swift UI is that, although it, you know, it, it, will, it still uses diffable data sources and the idea of compositional layout is, is, is there. Um, but I'm getting too deep into the weeds. But the, the little uh, specific nugget I wanted to talk about is, you know, I had been struggling to be able to make this canvas, like all other canvases I've worked on, really respect preferred content size in a very smooth fashion, which means scaling images, labels, but, you know, buttons, all that kind of stuff. And when you're in the world of compositional layout, that becomes a little bit tricky because you are basically saying, hey, I want X number of columns in, in, in my carousel layout, or I want a grid, and, and maybe the number of columns changes over it. You basically say what your heart's desire is, and the system will kind of, you know, hopefully fulfill your heart's desire, but may not give you exactly what you wanted. It's kind of like with auto layout in the world of frames. You're responsible for doing everything. It's very, very tedious, but you know exactly what's going on. In the world of auto layout, you say, hey, I'd kind of like this, and somehow, you know, the, the black box does its, its implementation. Hopefully, you get what you want on the other side. In the end... <laughs> Eventually. It, well, no, but in, in the after end... After much fiddling. Yeah, what, where we settle on it is that, you know, for, for really respecting preferred content size, you need to be able to, to use a technique... Uh, which I've used for everywhere as a defining a base size, a base item size, and then you will then scale it. So you kind of figure out what's the size that you want for a cell, for it, and then you can make things fit within that cell. So you scale your images proportionally. You allow your type, to, you know, your labels to to adjust the font size for content categories. 
uh, but you also allow it to shrink the type as necessary and maybe fix the number of lines. I mean, you, you set some constraints on it, but you ultimately are starting with some, some you know, default base size. And then as the preferred content size grows, you can scale that base size, but under all circumstances, you're basically having to say it. So you, there are ways, ultimately, what I'm getting at is you can use compositional layout, but you can basically implement in a way that you are basically still giving defined sizes for each of the different sets. And if you do that, you kind of, you can have a framework that will uh, do some of the things that compositional layout is good for when, when you know, you really want to radically change the layout. Um, but in cases where you, you want to have a little bit more control and a little kind of uh, deterministic scaling behavior, you now have the possibility of doing that. And all that work has been done. Uh, it took a long time to get there, but I'm actually super proud of what the canvas does. And, and how it's implemented, and now it's it's up to the world to, to see how that works, um, and we'll know over the next uh, couple of weeks uh, to the next couple of months. So when you get back off vacation and um, you just go into the Las Garros office and there's just a sticky note on your thing saying you're fired, <laughs> you'll guess it didn't go that well. Oh, Scott, you're so cynical. <laughs> or... If there's a bunch of flowers and some chocolates, yeah, they'll say, "Welcome back, <laughs> exactly. Mr. Hero." <laughs> One, only those two possibilities exist. There's no room for <laughs> John. It, there's no room for grey areas here. It's Absolutely just like, not. Yeah, you're a hero or a zero. <laughs> That's right. We're, we're, this is ones and zeros. We're software engineers. Yeah. There's nothing in between. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. And so, well, Scott, tell me about your world. Oh, I've been having a, a joyous time, John. That um. Uh, in, in one of the client projects I'm working on uh, in the previous release a few weeks ago, a one third-party dependency was replaced with another third-party dependency uh, to, to do with advertising and all that mm. sort of stuff. That's, that's pretty irrelevant. But the the replacement of that third-party dependency has started causing a crash in another third-party dependency, which is a binary-only mm. dependency. Um, and this crash happens. Uh, you know, th this app has you know, millions of users, and it's you know it's happening thousands of times. So, in the scale of things, this crash is you know, quite small. I'm not saying you should, be, you should use it, but it's not like there are you know hundred percent of users getting it. It's a small amount of mm -hmm. users getting, it. and it's during the startup phase, and therefore, um, you know, the app you you start the app up, it comes up, it disappears, and you do it again, and it seems to work. So. In the scale of things, not very difficult. Until, this is the app we were talking about migrations on, you happen to be at a point in a migration where that crash now causes data loss. Mm, mm. <laughs> uh, but, you know, tracking down why this crash is happening in the binary has been totally unsuccessful so far. So now having to, and, you know, a device is only going to go through migration once, but now having to work everything again to try and work out the best way of trying to avoid having a migration going on when that crash is happening by maybe pushing it out to a certain later place in a startup sequence um, which you can only guess because you can't fully know so you can't just say well if it's one second that might be on a newish device it might be three seconds on an old device or, or whatever is um, just causes problems but then equally even big migrations were very very fast because um, the migration is only sort of at a metadata level. The, the main resources have been done in another phase. We don't really need to talk about that. Um, but it's just about 
long a big one is just about long enough that it would it needs to be done before the UI is exposed so it's just about enough now late enough that you now need new UI because there's now a pause mm. when the migration's been done as opposed to um, it just being done when you start the app it's all happened uh, so that now needs UI which means now you're interrupting the startup flow in certain situations and we all know then um, designing UI that can appear over the top of something that is also going to be not something the user is used to seeing uh, they're probably never going to read uh, at the same time that stores them without annoying them or scaring them because oh, their data looks like it's gone. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, I mean, I think the solution we've come up with is okay. It's back in QA now, and we'll we'll see. But the trouble is it's really hard to replicate. Mm. Uh, you know, what, what does QA do? Um, you know, run 5,000 migrations and hope that one doesn't happen because in the last 5,000 they ran, they saw this four times or whatever, it's um, yeah, so how you, how you then test it and know about it or whatever is uh, it is difficult, so that's sort of like, I think we find it quite hard, or I find it quite hard you know, we like we like certainties we like to know we fix something, we like to know something's exact, and when you're like being more fluffy and vague that, you know, I think we'll be okay here, but until we get, you know um, I think the the only sec- yeah I, I am you know this is the type of thing that when you roll out you have to be quite nervous about it, but um, especially but you know we'll roll it out to a limited subset of users because we won't like do millions of users mm-hmm. in one go because that might be not very sensible. Um, so hopefully we'll we'll learn some lessons. And because of the nature of the architecture of the app with a client and a server and the cohorts we'll choose initially, if we do end up with a you know. A couple of hundred people that end up in this. There are ways to put them back to the old way. So it's yeah, it's not the end of the world. I mean, support will not like it, of course, yeah. but there we are. And that's one of the things that has really struck me about working on this project. And I guess it's you know uh, something that you must deal with or your teams deal with all the time is you know a a bug that happens you know zero point zero zero one percent of the time happens a lot when there are millions of users. Yeah, exactly. Yeah? Yeah. And it doesn't matter how big your support team is, if then 1% of those 0.001 users get in touch with support, you need a lot of people mm. in support. Um, and so you do everything you can to avoid any bug of that nature or any crash or anything that causes them to want to access support at all. <laughs> because because <laughs> support might want to access your neck with your their bare hands. Well, yeah, and it's just, um, you know, I, I, I remember listening to a, um interview with underscore David Smith when, you know, he, he um, I'm assuming most people listening to this podcast know who he is, but, you know, he, he's one of these people who just has 40 apps or whatever and he always says, I'll do this one in three weeks or I'll do this one in four weeks. And then when Widgets came to um, iOS, he, he did a widget app called mm. Widget Smith and it suddenly became massively popular. Mm. Um, and he's a single developer, and he says, but he was suddenly getting a hundred thousand emails a day of support. Wow! <laughs> because like it was like just literally millions of people decided that his app was going to be in there. And so this, uh, I mean, when you're on Netflix and mm-hmm. you know, your support goes up, and you say, oh, we need to hire more or support people, whatever else. That's one thing. When you're an individual developer yeah, yeah, and your app know. takes off, you know, how, how he couldn't, how do you even transition? Mm. You know, so success, maybe you want to sometimes be slower. <laughs> But uh, there we are. It's just, yeah. Um, and I think it, it has struck me 
working on this project. This project's probably got one of the biggest user bases of a project I've ever worked on. And it's, um, you know, it has struck me that that's something that a lot of developers don't consider in the way they do things. It's not just does this work. It's does, does this work in a way that no one is going to send an email about it. Right, yeah. <laughs> because if you're a large user base, you, that just can swamp people. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's my, my week. It's frustrating. These are going through processes where you've got to like, you know, this is like stage six of a process, so you've got to get everything through the stage six to test it. It didn't work. Get everything through stage six to test it. doesn't work. Very frustrating. But... I've drunk my way through it. It's all right. <laughs> well, that's very good. Now we see how the sausage is made. Yeah. Well, Scotty, speaking of third-party libraries, can I talk about Lottie? It's been a while since you've spoken about Lottie. So first you remind people what Lottie is. Okay, so Lottie is this great framework created by some engineers at Airbnb, which uh, basically allows you to take uh, two-dimensional or two-and-a-half-dimensional, two-and-a-half-D, uh, two uh, vector illustrations and animations and export them into a JSON file which can be read and rendered in the animation framework of your, your dreams and choice, whether it's web or iOS or Android or React. Um, it's been around for a while um, and we started using it in our app some number of years ago and it basically it's a, it's a great replacement for having to, to do complex Bezier curve animations by, by hand. Now, you know, there, there are different techniques and tools for doing it um, that are out there and in our app we have some animations that are completely done in code and we switched to using Lottie because it just saves so much time because designers can use tools like After Effects. It used to be an export plugin specifically for After Effects but now there are actually a number of, 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 of you know, vector drawing and animation tools out there, some of which are, are web-based, and they'll export it using this defined JSON format, and it's just become an industry standard, so it's great. Um, and so it started out as an Objective-C framework, which had you know, essentially a Swift interface for it, and then they made, the, and, and we, that's what we started with, and we actually lived on that for until about... I want to say maybe six months ago, where we had to to switch to using the Swift interface, um, uh, the Swift only implementation, and I, you know, used some techniques that other people had pioneered to build an Objective C kind of uh, compatibility layer because we had some old Objective C code that was using this stuff, and we didn't want to have to rewrite everything. New stuff has all been in Swift, and that's great. Now uh, they have a new version, 3.4, um, which has the amazing cap capability of rendering using core animation off the main thread. And, and when my colleague said, hey, you know, Lottie can do this, should we upgrade to the new framework? And, and first of all, and then he said, P.S., I had no idea that Lottie didn't, you know, didn't already use core animation rendering off the main thread. But as it turns out, that is exactly the case. So it was and, using core animation but on the main thread, or was it doing something totally different? It was using CA layers. It was not okay. using core animation. Yeah. So it would basically convert this JSON, build a, a CA layer tree, and then basically render it one frame at a time as fast as it can, but it would be doing that on the main thread. Whereas what they do now is they basically figure out what's the intent in terms of timing and duration and curves and so on and so forth that's implemented uh, in the in the illustration, you know, in the, in the animation, and they basically say they go fire it. So that you know, core animation has its own highly optimized off-thread rendering pipeline and just blitz to the main thread as it needs to. Um, and so. Uh, 
it's kind of interesting because you know we're talking when we're talking about animations here we're talking about things like you know a remind me button where there's a particular title that's coming in two in two months or two weeks or whatever and you can tap on a button and you can say send me a notification when this is available on service so that animation starts out as kind of a bell you know and then it morphs into a checkbox i can have some stuff in the show notes. People, I think, who, who've used the app on iOS or Android know about this. But that's a type of animation that we're talking about. That's like an animated button, and, and it's, you know, if you had to, to write that in code, you just wouldn't. But the fact that you can have this JSON file and framework that does it, it allows you to do this little bit of delight. So one of the things I've, I've kind of started to stop, well, I started to ignore some number of times ago, is that it, you can very easily see the really janky animations using Lottie if the the animation is having to contend with a bunch of other things that are necessarily on the main thread or debugging as, as you probably know if you use logging for debugging that just will just suck CPU it's like for for debug purposes it's critically important but you know there's a reason why all oh, logging gets turned off for a release so you know as developers you kind of know it's going to be terrible so you just kind of ignore it so if the animation is janky you don't care so with this new version of, of, of Lottie, what's amazing is that you can have all the logging, all the live debugging from Xcode, and uh, you can just see it's super busy on the CPU, but the animations itself running completely off main thread, buttery smooth no matter what, and it's glorious. The only caveat is that some of the early you know, JSON files that you might have output using this system could basically not be could not be rendered, you know, using this new optimized technique. And in fact, some of the animations that we had were not rendering properly, but thanks to the magic of, of open source projects that are well um, well looked after, and if you have some uh, relationships with the folks, we met, met them however many years when it came out. We've been enthusiastic users of Lottie for a long time. So <clears throat> when they asked, they said, hey, here's this new uh, framework and test it with all your, your existing animations and see if they work properly. And if they don't, we would love to know what they are. And I feel very happy is because this animation I was telling you about with the bell morphing into a checkbox didn't render properly because the fill was incorrect. But I sent it off to, to, to Cal uh, at Airbnb and within you know a couple hours, like, hey, I've got a fix and it's you know it will be available to you. And I felt uh, so happy about it in so many ways. Um, so there's my little tale of Lottie this week. It ended with a very happy ending. I think, I think basically, uh, those words, I felt so happy about it in, in so many ways, are words <laughs> that we should now allow our listener to be able to say because we're drawing to an end. Okay. And, and I felt so happy about it in so <laughs> many, many ways. Okay. Oh, so, John, you're, um, you're uh, traveling for the next uh, few weeks. Um, uh, so we may or may not do shows. It depends on you know your vacation schedule and whether you feel like it or whether you can give a damn. Uh, but uh, but people can still hunt you down. Where can they do that? Well, they can find me in the place that is nothing if not a game preserve with a bunch of <laughs> tech pros wielding massive guns in the form of. Of, of investments and deals that are that are pro, uh, proposed but then uh, renegotiated and that's Twitter. Hi Elon um, 
Anyway, uh, well, you'll find me as Djembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. And Scotty, if people want to uh, tell you to keep running and go back on vacation or, you know, just go hide from the, the hordes of people who are pissed off because your migrations didn't work out properly, where might they find you? Well, they can get hold of me as well on Twitter. At, um, Elon doesn't own me. <laughs> <laughs> where I am, uh, at Mac DevNet, and I do occasionally look at it. Oh. But, um, it is uh, well, John. It's been very pleasant sat on this balcony, looking out at the trees, listening to the London life go by. But I think we should, you know, get out of here and um, go drink beer. So we um, should do exactly that, and you can be thankful that we didn't do that beforehand. <laughs> so do so, uh, whoever you are. Uh, basically, I know when some podcasters travel, someone like a Marco Armand, you know, he takes suitcases of equipment for his recording with him. Um, we've recorded this with an iPhone and two water glasses <laughs> to prop it up. Um, so we will um, hopefully have a recording, but, you know, maybe all you've really heard is the wind or the, uh, the um, not that wind, John, um, or... Uh, <laughs> Or, uh, or, or the wildlife in the background of the traffic and we've not come through at all. Or maybe I even forgot to press record. We'll find out in a moment. Mm. Um, in which case, I don't know why I'm saying it. So, uh, thanks for listening. Hopefully you could hear some of it. And until next time, you take care. We did. We came right close to the microphone, and now we've just sat back like lazy bros and. <laughs>